You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axecamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. This week's sermon is brought to us by Pastor Dave Robinson, who is father to our current pastor, David Robinson. He is joining our staff as we continue to grow and join with Living Word Fellowship. We hope you enjoy his introductory sermon. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, you know, uh, it's going to be Acts 2.0 is what it's going to be. Virgin two churches about the same size fill this room, but the whole purpose and idea behind it is to win people to Jesus Christ and develop them in that life. So uh, I think between uh, Dr. Robinson, Dr. David Robinson, and my son, Dr. David Robinson, and me, Dr. David Robinson, (laughs) we should be able to get that accomplished. The, uh, uh, my history is that I, uh, I, I was the father of David, and uh, actually, more than just David. Let's go ahead and we'll start this slide presentation. Here's a picture of our congregation, uh, so you have a little idea uh, of what you're looking at. They can't see you, but you can see them. And... Uh, Got it right here. Here's a verse that I live by. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. If I was going to plan out my life, I would probably do it and I would think it was great. However, God has a plan for our lives and it's best. It's the best plan. And sometimes we don't know what that's going to be. We don't know, uh, and it's scary. Uh, I don't know uh, if you've had the experience of riding on the back seat of a motorcycle, uh, but when somebody's driving the motorcycle, you're riding in the back. Vision is very limited. You don't really know where you're going. You just trust the driver in front of you. And that's kind of like it is with the Lord. Sometimes we can't see where we're going. We just know that He's driving us, and we can be assured that he's got the right path. So that has led me through all different types of things uh, throughout my life. I began a ministry in 1971, about 40 years ago. I'm married with three children, Donna, David, and Daniel. Uh, my wife, whose name is Denise, came from a... Uh, hang on, and don't go any further. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, uh, my wife came from a family of six girls. They kept trying for a boy. After the sixth girl, they quit. So there was Debbie, Deanne, Denise, Danelle, Delyn, and Alyssa. And I was the first one to marry in the family, and I was Dave. So these seemed to work. So we just carried it on. That's how I got Donna, David, and Daniel. My degree is in Bible, music, and Christian education. I trained to be somebody to help out a church in multiple areas, helping with the Christian education, leading the choir, doing the youth. Uh, so 
And I, and I did actually work with youth one time, and I loved it. Okay, Don is the oldest, then David, then Daniel. Now, we believed in having the girl first so she could be the babysitter. <laughs> and Donna, uh, since she was the oldest, had the most responsibility. So she took that on very seriously, and she has run those boys to this day. Now, Donna is about this high. And the boys are about this high. And you, you know, you've seen David. Donna's of little stature. And they still listen to her. It's kind of funny. I thought I'd give you just a little glimpse of when they were kids. So here we go with the video. Start over. Okay. Did, are you going to rewind or anything? No. Okay. This is you guys in real action. <laughs> this is it. We're going to do the same like, go. Okay. You guys just <laughs> It was funny if you were there. <laughs> And David, David's so easygoing. You know, she yells at him, and he smiles back at her. It's just, it's just kind of funny. Uh, anyway, that's a little glimpse uh, into my kids. Uh, now, I'll tell you, uh, I, I've worked in several churches. Most churches I work in at least 10 years, so that might scare you a bit. I'll be here for at least 10 years, <laughs> Lord willing. Uh, now, the, uh, I, I came from Crossroads, a church of about 6,000. At the time I was there, there were about 6,000. I went there to develop a Bible college, do the Christian education uh, ministry for adults. And uh, I taught the, I uh, did the singles class, I taught men's, and I uh, also did uh, seniors. And uh, low, low, about nine years ago, eight years ago, something like that, they decided they wanted to go a different direction and they didn't need to have a seniors ministry any longer and they were doing different things. So they said, uh, we'd love you to stay, but we're not going to pay. And I said, I'd love to stay, but I got to earn money. <laughs> so I left and I started Living Word Fellowship. And we started by uh, gathering together. Uh, eight people met for prayer, and we began to look for a place. Uh, we met for prayer that Sunday morning, and then we went down, and there was a Godfather's Pizza place right down the corner from us. And we got there about 11 o'clock, it just opened, and I noticed they had a party room that would hold about 35 to 40 people. And I said to the manager, uh, I'm going to start a church, can we use your party room? And she said... Yeah, you can, and I'll tell you what, if eight of you eat it, we'll give it to you for free. And I says, well, you're in luck. That's one thing Christians can do, is eat. <laughs> so that was where we began in that 
pizza parlor. There it is. Very large, you know. <laughs> Started with a Casio uh, kid's piano. You know, one didn't have full keyboard. Played on that thing. It was kind of funny. Next slide. We uh, put up a couple signs and waited to see and who would show up, and 33 people did first Sunday. So you can imagine within a couple of weeks, we're out of the pizza parlor. There wasn't room. Uh, it was amazing. And God brought people in, and uh, by the third Sunday, I was being paid full time. We started with nothing, no salary, no backing. Nothing. But God supplied. Next slide. We moved to Pioneer Elementary School, which is actually just down the road a ways. Here's what it looked like inside. So it was a large room, wood floor, high ceilings, 50 people, 40 people, 50 people. The chairs uh, were made for that, for that school. And if you weighed more than 120 pounds, you sat by faith. <laughs> and you didn't dare move, because if you moved, that thing started to... It was like sitting on jello. It was very bad. Next. So uh, having to set up and tear down every Sunday was very difficult. Amen? Yeah. The folding chairs were flimsy at best. The heat and air conditioning were not always on because it was on computer, and they didn't care about Sundays. So we came in one Sunday, and it was freezing cold. Came in in the summer, it was hot. Uh, and the place was too large for our group. So we, we prayed and started seeking the Lord for another place, and we found a place right here downstairs. That's what it looked like. And see this wonderful thing right here? It's a pole. <laughs> and it sat right there. So when I taught, I would teach over here, and then I, over here. I was constantly trying to get around that stinking pole. All right. Uh, we also got new chairs, by the way. And continued to grow. We went from 60 to 70 to 80 to 90 to 100. We were outgrowing our space and started to look for a new space, and God was leading again. We found a place to meet. We were on the uh, way to the coast for our annual uh, coast uh, retreat, which, by the way, is coming up. If you want to go with us, it's a lot of fun. Three days down at the coast. Uh, everything's provided, lodging, food, the whole works. We go on a nice bus. Uh, so come and join us this week from next week. It's, there's a flyer out on the table with a registration form on the back. You just have to fill that out. Okay. So we're on the way to the coast, and one of the ladies said, I've been driving by this church, and they closed up. Why don't you check it out? Okay, next slide. So there it was. Uh, it was in bad shape. Uh, they had gotten down to... 35, 40 people. They couldn't do maintenance. Uh, it was pretty bad, and they had to close the thing down. So uh, it was great for us, though. Next slide. We prayed over the campus, first of all, went all the way around and prayed over it. Then we pulled weeds, fixed the parking lot, painted, changed the sign. Our first Sunday was on December 2nd, 2012. 
Next slide. That's what it looks like now. Quite a change, eh? Pretty nice. Next slide. There's our bus and two vans. That's where we're taking to the coast, by the way. Our sign, Living Word Fellowship, 9 o'clock a.m. First Sunday was December 12th. Next. And you saw that in the next slide. It should be a video. idea of what we sound like. <laughs> Hope that works here. Next slide. <laughs> Have you ever had a situation where you're reading the Bible and something doesn't really make sense? I mean, the words are all, you can read the words fine, but there's something that doesn't quite fit right, and you're wondering, what in the world, how does this thing work out? When I was, uh, when we had the three kids, uh, my wife did some babysitting uh, at the house uh, while she watched our three kids as well. And she called me one day and she said, the toilet is plugged. And so I came over and uh, I looked at it, flushed it, and it went, <laughs> yeah, it's plugged. <laughs> so I got the plunger out, you know, those little red plungers, and I, So I thought, okay, you're, you're not going to beat me. So I got on that thing with some full weight. And I did that for about two or three seconds, three minutes. I was sweating. I was dying. Flushed it. So I thought, this is not working. So I remembered that we had one over at the church that was a double plunger, you know. Have you seen those? It's a big ball here, then another one up above. So you give a double pump on those babies. You could suck a small Volkswagen through the pipes with that baby, I'm telling you. So I'm up. I tried that, tried that, tried that. No. So the next step was to take it apart. Now, this was an older home built a long time ago. And I want to tell you, that is one job you do not want to have. It doesn't smell nice down there, and the bolts are all rusted. I finally got that thing off, put it in the bathtub. I'm staring at a hole in the floor. So I tried the thing again, the double trumpet pump. You know, the neighbors were wondering why their toilets were going splash out. <laughs> but that thing would not budge. So I thought, you know what? I'll get the garden hose. Now, this is a genius move. I got the garden hose, and I stuck it in that hole, and I turned it on full bore, and I stuck it down there, and pretty soon we had the fountain coming up. It would not bulge, just water flying everywhere. My wife cleaned up, you know, she had the, de the bathroom all decorated nice. She had wallpaper on the wall. She had, you know, it's, you know how we ladies are. It was really nice, and now it didn't look so nice. So I'd had it, so I went, I said, next step is a snake. So I went over to the church, and they had a snake. 
And I took the snake, and it's one of these little hand crank things. And I hand cranked that baby down there, and still nothing. So I'd had it. And I'm one not to give up. Unfortunately, I'm one not to give up. So I went down to the rental store, and I said, do you got a snake that's heavy duty? He says, we have all kinds of snakes. And uh, he took me over there, and here was this giant motorized snake, cord about that thick. I said, that's the one I want. So he loaded it up. We took it home. I brought it into the bathroom. There wasn't really room for it in there, but I got it in there. And I turned that motor on, that electric motor on, and I started the journey. I'm putting that thing down there, and it would get to a spot, and it would stick. But that motor would keep going. So it flipped me right into the wall. Kaboom, kaboom. I'd turn off the thing. And then when you turned it off, it was all knotted up. It had to unwind. And it's hitting the wall. Clink, clink, clink. And I'm just killing my wife's bathroom. I'm just killing it. But I wasn't going to give up. No way. So I turned it on again. And again, I went down there. And I just put all my weight on it. And finally, it broke through. And I thought, all right, there's about 25, 30 feet on this thing. <clears throat> I'm going to let it out. I'm going to make sure that thing's gone. Whatever was in there is gone. So I'm putting it down the hole. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, through the bathroom window from my side, comes the ball. <clears throat> you see, they have air vents that go through the roof. It had caught and went up through the roof and was flipping outside the house. My son is driving his bike down the street. He's going, what in the world is dad doing now? Broke the window. It broke the window. Anyway, sometimes things are not just not a good day. It, I did eventually get to work, though. How about that? So let's look at this uh, problem that we have here. 1 John 2.8. No, it's 1.8. That's 1-8. I don't know who put 2-8 on there. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. Next slide. The very next verse says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, how much sin do you have in your life? None. Right? That, all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness is that? It's all. If you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, how much sin do you have in your life? Well, if you say you don't have any sin, you're lying. The truth's not in you. It's kind of like repeat and Pete went down to the beach and Pete fell in and who was left? And you have to repeat again. There's, there seems to be a problem here. If we confess our sins, he forgives us and we don't have any sin. But if we say we don't have any sins, we're a liar and the truth's not in us. There's a pro Do you see the problem? I hope. Anybody here know logic? <laughs> Next slide. Romans 7, 17 through 18 says, It is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good in itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. Now that is the NIV. That is a newer translation. King James does not use sinful nature. 
It just says sin. So if you don't know what's going on, you get confused. So I thought I got rid of sin. No, you have sin. No, I don't have sin. No, you have sinful nature. You never get rid of the sinful nature as long as you have this body of sin and death. That's just the way it works. This body comes with a sinful nature. That's why it's referred to sometimes as the flesh nature. The body, senses, sensual, comes from senses. Next slide. If we say we have no sin nature, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Make more sense? If we say we don't have a sin nature, we're liars. But we do have a sin nature, and if we sin, we confess it, it's gone. We still have the sin nature. You see? That sin nature doesn't mean you're a sinner. It only means you have the ability and nature of sin. It's natural. Nobody has to teach you to sin. Have you ever noticed that? Kids, you know, growing up, you don't have to teach them to sin. You say, okay, today we're going to have a lesson on sin. Now, here's how you be disobedient to God. Here's how you be disobedient to parents. There's no schools for sin. There's no problem with that. People have no problem doing it. They can do it without even trying. Sin is a very easy thing to do. Next slide. Now, here's what Paul said. Here comes the problem. For me, for the will is present with me. In other words, I want to do what's right. But how to perform that which is good, I do not find. For the good that I would do, I don't do. But the evil I don't want to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin nature that dwells in me. In other words, we all fight the battle of sin. You see, it's just not your will. Your will isn't strong enough to overcome sin. That's kind of a sad deal, because we really want to be in control. But the reality is, sin is a very powerful thing. We have a natural desire to sin. If I say, don't think of a red-faced monkey, what's the first thing you think of? It's how we're built. You know, cookies always taste better when you can't have one. You know? It's 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 an interesting thing. Next slide. For the flesh, that's in nature, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you want to do. I want to do right, but I end up doing wrong. I did it again, I done did it again, I did it again, I did it again. Anybody who's been a Christian for any length of time knows that gets frustrating after a while, especially when you're really trying to be on a diet of sin, from sin. You know, it's a lot, to me, I, everything has to do with food, as you might be able to tell. <clears throat> so for me, I always think about if I go on a diet, I'm not supposed to eat certain things, but like with sugars, you know, strawberry shortcake with whipped cream or or whipped cream with strawberry shortcake, as I like to have it. <laughs> you know, when you're not supposed to have something, all of a sudden it becomes more, and the longer you're on the diet, the more you crave it. It's an interesting thing. And you never have to try and want to have it. It is already there. It exists. And trying to deal with it is with, with your will. So the greater willpower, the more triumph you have. 
All right, let's go to the next slide. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, now we're getting to somewhere. Now we're getting to the solution. Now we're getting to the answer. It's not in and of myself that I'm able to overcome sin, but God will give me a nature based after him, which has no sin. God doesn't sin. God can't have anything to do with sin. Therefore, if he gives me his nature, and I live according to his nature, I won't fulfill my nature. How's that done? Well, Paul says, I beg you by the mercies of God to present your bodies, your flesh nature, a living sacrifice. Paul says, In Philippians, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ. So what do you have to do? You have to consider your own self dead. You have to say, I'm no longer in charge. I'm putting you in charge. The only will you put together, or the only will that you do, is to say, I want to follow you. I'm going to submit to you. What's some of the hardest things for us to do is submit. You know, I was doing a wedding one time, and uh, only did this once. I learned my lesson. They were out of, the, the bride was out of town. She couldn't come to the rehearsal. So we did the rehearsal, and then we had the day of the wedding. And I said, do you promise to love, honor, and obey? She said, whoa! She said, take out obey. I said, excuse me? She was not going to obey him. That's not the way it was going to work. You know, we all have a little bit of that in us. I'm in charge of my own life. I'm in charge. I know what's best. And we really don't know what's best. We're dealing with a limited amount of information. God has all the information. But we're very, very strong. And you see, the stronger willed the people are, the harder it is for them to give it up. The harder it is to not be in control. Let me just give you an example. Talking about merging two churches. Did anybody have some rumblings of questions about how that was going to work? And when you don't know the answer, it kind of bothers you? You really want to know the answer? I want to know. Can I ask a question? I want to know. I just need to know. I just need to know. We all have a desire to have some kind of control. Our people are going, what's going to be like to be on those hard floors again? You know, they got carpet, padded pews, stained glass windows. They got it nice. So what do you think they're thinking? Are they trusting the Lord with all their heart and not leaning on their own understanding? Or are they trying to, in their own understanding, figure out what's right and what's wrong? And you can do that. And you can live your life that way. But I'm just telling you, you live your life with you in charge, and you won't have the blessings of God. And what it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible. Next slide. I did this little diagram. And I put the spirit on top. Because we're made up of three parts. 
body, soul, and spirit. And I put the spirit at the top because it faces upward. <laughs> and I always think about looking into heaven. I think about looking upwards to God. So I put that there. Then you have a body and a soul. Now it says in the scriptures in Ephesians 2.1 that your spirit is dead and trespasses and sins until you get saved. Now it doesn't use the word spirit, but it says you were dead. Well, you weren't physically dead, right? You still have a soul. You still have a mind, will, and emotions. So what was the only thing that could have been dead? That connection between you and God. Another word for dead is separation. Separated from life. Separated from God. And so you were dead because of sin, and your spirit was dead. And in John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he says, what must I do? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And the first thing he said was, how can I enter my mother's womb and be born a second time? He was thinking in the physical. Jesus was teaching in the spiritual. No, you need to have your spirit reborn. And here's what happens. When you accept Jesus Christ in your life, the spirit comes in and he gives new birth to your spirit. He reconnects you to the source. God's spirit actually begins to dwell in you so that your bodies become a temple. They become the housing of God himself. God dwells in you. That is what happens. And you become a new creation, a new man, a new woman, a new child. And here's the problem, the heart. Now, it's very interesting. Jesus says, out of the heart comes all these evil things. Jeremiah 79 says, the heart is wicked, deceitful. Who can know it? But it also is where our heart belongs to God, if we give it to God. Love the Lord with all your, a little bit louder than that, love the Lord with all your heart. Yeah. So what has to happen is, where's your heart? Is it in the spirit? Or is it in the flesh? Are you making decisions by your, by your soul, with your emotions? You know, people make decisions sometimes with a blend of different things. They will make a decision sometimes emotionally. You know, you watch it on the television. They show this little child there, and it's hungry, and, she, and they say, don't you want to give some money to this child? Uh, sometimes you make it very intellectually. It only makes sense that we do this thing. Now, I'm not going to tell you which sex goes where, but sometimes one leads a little further on one side and the other one leads on the other side. And, uh, but you still use a blend. You use your intellect, you use your memory, your imagination, and that is all part of your mind. Imagine what it'd be like out on that boat, honey. Imagine what it'd be like. So you make the decisions with all those things. And then you also have Entering your senses, sight, smell, hearing, taste, touch. Look at the first temptation in the garden with Eve. And she saw 
that it looked good to eat, taste. It's all had to do with senses. And you'd be surprised at how much time the, in these right here in our senses draws us into sin. We're living purely sensually, purely for what fits best for us, for just what we like, just what we want. But all those things are involved in these two things. Here is the source of power. You see, Jesus said, I'm going up to heaven so I can send you the Comforter. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to lead you into all truth. And you shall receive dunamis, the Greek word is, or miraculous power. You'll receive miraculous power. Not just power, miraculous power. Well, miraculous power means you have the power to overcome temptation. Paul says that there's not any temptation that you face that isn't common to everybody else. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted above what you're able to do or take. But always make a way of escape. So once you belong to the Lord and you have his power in your life, you can have victory. You can have victory. You no longer have to worry about it. You no longer have to be in charge. You no longer have to take care of all those things. All you have to do is be sensitive. You have to be open and hear the leading of the Lord. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and know it. All you have to do is be able to follow the Lord himself. And he will give it to you in different ways. You know, it's dreams, there's visions, there's vocal but most of the time, it happens, in my case, in my mind, in praying. You see, prayer is not a one-way conversation. You don't go to your husband or wife or anybody else and just you talk, you don't let them talk. Especially when I was a kid. I didn't go to my dad and say, Dad, would you let me do such and such and such and then walk away? If I did that, I never got the answer. And never got a chance to tell me anything. No, you, you can make your request known, and then you have to what? Listen. You have to listen. And you have to develop that in your life, hearing the voice of God. And he will lead you. He promises that he'll never leave you or forsake you. He will always lead and guide you. His spirit will reveal to you revelation. He'll give you knowledge. He'll give you everything that you need. And so it comes, miraculous power comes with the Spirit. And if you live in the Spirit, you won't have to battle the flesh. Well, you'll always have the flesh battling, but it becomes less of a problem because you develop a new nature. Where once you always did it a certain way, now you're developing a new nature. So it becomes the normal, normal in your life. If I were to take two twin boys who are exactly the same. And I was to take one of them, and I was to put them in a dark room and give them water and some bread. And I was to take the other one down here to 24-hour fitness, give them the best food and work them out every day, and then I let them wrestle. Who would win? Right? The one who's strong, right? How do you become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? How do you do that? You develop it by feasting, eating, 
from his word. You develop it by meditating and learning the scriptures. You become strong in the spirit. And the stronger you are in the spirit, the less you have to deal with that flesh. But if you're feeding your flesh, if you're spending all your time watching movies and televisions that does not do anything to edify your spirit, then that's what you're feeding. Whatever you feed is going to have the strength. You know, you have to make a determination. You have to set your priorities. Where am I going? What am I doing? What does God want for me? Now, some people think, oh, that sounds like no fun. Well, if it's no fun, I can understand that. But the reality is that when you get into the Word of God and it starts making sense to you, it's an amazing thing. And all of a sudden, you can't wait to learn more. You can't wait to learn more because there's great stuff in there. You know, when I was a, a teenager, I came across that one verse in the Bible that says, greet one another with a holy kiss. I told the Sunday school teacher, we're supposed to be kissing the girls. And he said, no, you're not. I said, it's right here in the Bible. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And one said, consecrated. I thought it said concentrated. I said, it's supposed to be doing it with a concentrated kiss, too. But there's fun things in the Bible. There, there's great truths and great things you'll learn. Skin of my teeth comes from the Word of God. There's all kinds of You'd be surprised at how much stuff exists that comes from the Bible. And as you explore it and as you learn it, you learn these great truths. It's not boring. It doesn't have to be. It can be exciting. It can be fun. So it's not like, okay, I've got to put on the monk outfit and walk around I'm spiritual. I don't do anything. Keep that away from me. I'm just going to be spiritual. Um, that's not it. You know what he said? He came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. May I tell you something? I've never laughed harder than when I've laughed with Christians. You know, we used to go after, once again, food story, Sorry. After church, we'd go uh, to a place called Marie Calendars in California. And we went there because I didn't get paid much. And you can get a whole tureen of soup, and we could feed the whole family for like six bucks. So we'd go there. But we'd invite people from the church to go with us. And we usually have a crowd of eight to ten, sometimes more. And we would be laughing and having a good time. One time we came into the restaurant, and she said, oh, come here. You follow me. And she took us way back in the back of the restaurant in some corner says, you guys are back here. And I couldn't help it. I had to ask, well, how come we're back here? Well, you guys always get drunk and make loud, laughing out loud and everything else. They thought we were getting drunk back there. And didn't, have, didn't touch anything with water unless you got something in the water. I mean, Jesus isn't here turning it into wine, so I'm not sure what's going on there. But we're laughing so hard and having such a great time. They said, the only way it could happen is because you must be high. I am high on Jesus. You know, your laughter is greater. Your tears are deeper. You experience life fuller. I'm telling you that a Christian who is spiritual enjoys life. You have the joy of the Lord in you. Sometimes you don't know that. You go to church and you think you're at a funeral home, especially during a sermon. 
<laughs> the way I take care is that I tell a joke once in a while, and somebody, what do you, I sleep, what do you say? <laughs> it gets them awake. No, you're supposed to be full of joy. And joy comes from the Lord. You know what it says? The joy of the Lord is my strength. You want to be strong in the Lord? Get joy. You want to be not so strong? Complain. And then sometimes the music too loud and they can't see the words on the screen. Pastor speaks too long. He, he talks too fast. He talks too loud. He talks too soft. Complain, grumble and complain, and you won't have any joy and you won't have any strength. Strength comes from joy, and joy comes from the Lord. That's what it's all about. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through struggles. It just means that you have an ability to go through struggles with a different attitude than others. So being spiritual isn't some, you know, hide yourself in a closet event. It's living in the fullness. It's living in the fullness. If you're going to hang around me, you're going to end up laughing. Mostly at me. You know, I just have a hard time not doing mistakes. Uh, trouble just runs towards me. I can't help it. But that's okay, because I can laugh too. I'll cry with you if you're going through a struggle. Because we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. But I want to tell you, there's joy in that too. Some of the closest relationships I built, built were through those times of hardship and struggle. God uses everything, everything for his glory. Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.